I want us to turn to Mark chapter 8. I'm going to read verses 14 through 21. And while you're turning there, I just want to say it is a privilege, as always, to be able to step behind this podium, this pulpit, and to deliver a good word of faith. Not just to do that only, but to the people I'm doing it to. That is what makes it such a privilege. There's no better place than GBFPC. I mean that sincerely. That is not an accolade for favor. I'm not trying to work on anybody's heartstrings so they'll like my sermon better today. I genuinely say that this is the best and blessed place that we can be. Amen. Give honor to my pastor. Appreciate his faith. In me, amen. Let's read the word of God this morning. Verse 14 says, Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread. Neither had they in the ship with them more than one loaf. And he charged them, saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the leaven of Herod. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It is because we have no bread. And when Jesus knew it, he saith unto them, Why reason ye because ye have no bread? Perceive ye not yet, neither understand. Have ye your heart yet hardened? Having eyes see ye not, and having ears hear ye not. And do you not remember when I break the five loaves among the five thousand? How many baskets full of fragments took ye up? They say unto him, Twelve. And when the seven among four thousand... How many baskets full of fragments took ye up? And they said unto him, Seven. And he said unto them, How is it that ye do not understand? And from this setting in, cha in chapter 8 of Mark, I want to bring out, draw out this title, The Bigger Picture. The Bigger Picture. Amen. Would you help me pray this morning? We love you, Lord. We thank you, God, for the Holy Ghost that is moving in our midst. And I pray, God, that you continue to do so. Give us revelation and give us understanding. But more importantly, I pray, Lord, that you would break every chain. and You would touch our hearts, Lord, and you would convict us to become better in you. Lord, let the word of God come alive and touch these lips of clay. I ask these things in the wonderful name of the Lord. And everyone says... Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. The bigger picture, the bigger picture. This is an interesting setting in Mark chapter 8. Uh, it starts off very plainly by stating the disciples had gotten into a boat and they forgot to take something very important, a sustaining piece of life, especially for that time and that era, and it was bread. And so, them and Jesus were in the boat, but there was not enough food to feed everyone. And so in the forefront of their mind, they're pretty nervous. They're, they know they're going to be hungry soon. They know the journey along the sea could be, you know, a little long. And so they were kind of embarrassed, kind of ashamed. And Jesus begins with teaching. The Bible says he charged them. He's given them some very adamant instruction. And it just so happens he uses key words in this instruction. He, he uses the word leaven. He tells them to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the leaven of Herod. And immediately the disciples, they were, they were convicted and they felt ashamed. And they knew that they were just getting in trouble because this is Jesus in the boat and he's ready to get on to them because they didn't bring enough bread for their journey. Their perspective of the master was not a correct perspective, I want to stop and say. And a lot of times when we come to the house of the, of the Lord, that we, we, we need to change our perspective. I need to change my perspective because we can come in here with heavy burdens and we can come in to this sanctuary with problems and with doubts and with fears and with mis misunderstandings and, and God is in this place and, and all that we can think of is our own problems and our own shortcomings and our very own failures but this is not the mindset of Christ 
God is not looking at us as children that he's ready to to, uh, discipline. That is not his outlook on you. And I I know and I just want to say if we could understand how God really sees us and, and how he really loves us, we would have a different attitude when we come to the house of God. Our worship would be different. Our talk about the Lord would be different. Who we witness to and the amount of people we witness to would be a lot different because we would understand the love that God has for us. We would understand how much we mean to him. And I want to say today emphatically that you mean much to the master. You're not some nobody that just walked into a beautiful sanctuary today that nobody cares about. You are somebody in the eyes of the Lord. And that is very important to understand today. You you may not be popular and you may not have the best that life can afford, but you're very special in the eyes of God. You're very, very important in His mind. Hallelujah. So when I come into this place, I have an understanding that when I lift my hands, God is desiring that praise. He's, He's so it up like a biscuit on a, like a biscuit on a plate. He's just sopping up every bit of praise that we can give him. That's why I come and I worship. That's why I'm faithful to the house of God because God desires something from me. Amen. And I'm in debt to him. And so Jesus fires back at them. He perceived in, in their hearts and in their minds and he understood their conversation even though they weren't speaking directly to him. And he asks, why reason ye? Because ye have no bread. What are you talking about? Why are you having this discussion or this thought amongst yourselves or in your mind? This isn't about you not having bread. He says, perceive ye not, neither understand, have ye uh, your heart yet hardened? What, what, What is going on? Are you not sensitive to what I'm trying to do? What I'm trying to say, you have eyes, but do you see? And you have ears, and are you not hearing? Do you not remember? And he arrests their attention with these questions. Do you not remember that just a few days ago there were some on a, on a hillside, 5,000 men alone? This doesn't count the women and the children. There was another time when there was 4,000, and, and, and we needed food, and I had compassion in my heart. And, and what happened? We took five loaves and we took two fishes. And, and, and what happened? It was blessed and it was broken. And, and how many baskets full of fragments, disciples, you yourselves picked up? You were there. You witnessed the blessing. You saw the miracle. You saw how the loaves were multiplied. The fish were multiplied. You watched every man, child, and woman. You watched as they filled their hungry bellies with this miracle that was formed. Do you not remember the blessing that came forth? What he's trying to say is, why are you worried about this one loaf of bread that you brought on this boat? Amen. We need to quit worrying about the problems that are in the boat and and focus our attention more on the master who's in control of everything, not only in the boat, but outside of the boat. Not only the boat, but the winds. Not only the winds, but the waves. Not only the waves, but all of creation. We have something more important in the boat, and we, we, we need to remember who he is and what he's capable of. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He's capable of great things, friend. He's, he's capable of great things, not only miracles, not only signs, but he forgave us our sins. He washed us clean of every, every sickness of the soul, This is the master who's going to prepare a place for us. We're going to a beautiful, beautiful mansion in heaven. This is the person who's in our boat today. And Jesus is trying to arrest their conscience and their understanding. He's baffled and he says, how is it that ye do not understand? You were with me. You saw these miracles. Sometimes... The best thing that we can do when our vision gets blurred and, uh, and our focus is just on the bad things is we need to really focus on what God can do and we need to remember what God has done. There's testimonies all across this building about what God has done. We could spend all week, maybe even all month, 
just hearing a testimony from everyone that is sitting in this room about the good things that God has done, the miracles that He has done, the, the things that He's performed when no one else you thought cared, God was there. And, and we let little things, just like a simple loaf of bread, destroy our walk, destroy our faith. He was talking about the leaven of the Pharisees. He was talking about the, or another word for leaven would be yeast or that thing that would swell up and slowly undermine faith coming from the Pharisees. And what he was really boiling down to was hypocrisy. Beware of the hypocrisy of the Pharisees because they will destroy your faith. And they didn't see that. They only looked at themselves. They could not hear the message. They could not see the faith that he was trying to give them, the helps that he was trying to deliver if we're not careful, our mindset and our stature could be the same entering into this place with all of our problems and all of our worries. And it could cloud out the faith that is coming from the preached word of God or the move of the Holy Ghost during song service because we're so infatuated with our situation, not understanding how there's going to come help or how we're going to be delivered. But I could tell you today, when you change your view, when you change your mindset, when you look up to the hills from whence cometh your help, you will realize that anything that you're going through really is insignificant because God has already defeated the wicked one. He has already overcome sin. He's won the battle. He's already shed blood and all we need is faith in him to understand that he's able. It may take a little patience. We may have to endure some things but in the end Jesus is going to win. In the end Jesus is still in the boat. In the end he is still in control. Hallelujah. I'm talking about the bigger picture which is simply just an understanding of a situation it's just an understanding of a situation that includes more than what is immediately apparent or so visual. We let first circumstances dictate to us the entire outcome. Tragedies and, and, and things scare us and, and, and little worries plague our, our mind and they, they cause us to be not functionable and, and we need to have a better perspective of the whole picture a broader view there is a famous painting and I don't know who painted it but it is of a beautiful landscape a rich valley full of rivers and streams beauty and creation and there's gold in this picture and there's riches and, and there's all kinds of blessing per se in this picture in this painting and up in the horizon of this sky that's drawn in the painting, there is a vulture that is flying. And he's high and he's soaring. And he's, he's somewhat, you could tell, circling something. And, and his, his wings are tilted and he's looking downward in this beautiful valley that was created with riches, a fertile, a fertile ground. And, and it looks like a place you would want to retire in or rest in, just peaceful and serene full of blessing and calmness. But on the road that is drawn in this picture, there is an animal that is dead that you can barely see, but it's there. And this vulture who has access to anything, any, anything in, this, in this valley, he has his eye on one thing, and it is the dead thing. It is the thing that cannot bring life. It is that which is dead. His focus is on that which cannot, cannot live again. And it's, it's a lesson in this painting that human nature is such many times that our focus is always on the negative sometimes. Our focus can always be uh, uh, just blurred. We don't see the blessings and we don't see the provision and we forget. We don't remember what God has done, what God has given, what God is capable of. We're just circling the one dead thing, wanting to live off the past, wanting to live off something that is dead that will not help us, that will soon go away and deteriorate. And then the vulture will fly and look again for the another, another dead thing. We, our mindset needs to change. There's a bigger picture here. There's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a different
different perspective that we need to see. We need to see what God has in store for us. And we not only need to look at it for ourselves, but we need to share this bigger picture with this dying world and this, this time that we live in. There's no better time to witness. There's no better time to tell people about what God can give and what God can provide and what God is capable of. But if we focus on the negative, if we focus on hurts, if we focus on things that are dead, then revival will stop in your life, my friend. And that is not the intention of the Lord because he is wanting you to increase from glory to glory. God has precious promises in store for you, but you won't get there by looking at the unfruitful things, the unfruitful things that are unrighteous and that will kill and that will choke. We have to focus on the bigger picture, the entire perspective. One of my favorite scriptures, passages in the Bible, it is found in the book of 2 Kings, and I will do some reading, about nine verses to set the, the tone of this story. This is talking about Syria and Israel. The king of Syria warred against Israel in verse 8 of 2 Kings chapter 6 and took counsel with his servants saying, in such and such a place shall be my camp. And the man of God sent unto the king of Israel saying, beware that thou pass not such a place for thither the Syrians are come down. And the king of Israel sit to the place which the man of God told him and warned him of and saved himself there not once nor twice. Therefore the heart of the king of Syria was sore troubled for this thing. And he called his servants and said unto them, Will ye not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? And one of the servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet that is in Israel, he telleth the king of Israel the words that thou speakest in thy bedchamber. And he said, Go and spy where this Elisha is, that I might send and fetch him. And it was told him, saying, This Elisha, he is in Dothan. Therefore sent the king of Syria hither, thither horses and chariots, great host. And they came by night, and they compassed the city of Dothan about. And when the servant of the man of God was risen early, when Elisha woke up and went forth, behold, and host compassed the city, both with horses and with chariots. And his servant said unto him, Alas, my master, Elisha, what are we going to do? There was a problem. And the servant could only see the problem. He didn't see. He couldn't remember all of the miracles that he sees on a daily basis in the power of God. And how it moved through the prophet Elisha whom he served. He saw countless miracles. Because Elisha wanted a double portion. He got to do twice as many of miracles that his predecessor Elijah did before him. Surely he heard of all those stories. And witnessed many accounts on his own. But this morning he wakes up. And the only picture that he can see is gloom and doom, is death, is certain dismay. And he cannot remember, remember the goodness that is in the valley. But all he can see is certain destruction. And Elisha, Elisha told his servant, Fear not, for they that be with us, those that are with us, are more than they that be with who you see outside the window. And so Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses, and it was full of chariots of fire round about Elisha. There was a bigger picture that was in store. The Bible says 
that the angels of the Lord encamp around those that fear the Lord. Hallelujah. It would be amazing to see with the eyes the servant had today because in this place, there's just not one servant. There's just not one man of God. There's just not one woman of God in this place. There's many today that I'm looking at in this sanctuary. And if we could but see the protection that God has around his people and those that he cares about, we would be just fortified in faith. And we would declare that God is mighty and that he could tear down every stronghold. We would be so full of faith. But God doesn't want us to just see with our natural eyes. He wants us to just believe on him for who he is. Hallelujah. God is looking for somebody. He's looking for a bride that just believes in him and says, I know you're going to do it. And I know you will provide. And I know you're going to make a way because I know who you are. We know who he is today, saints. We know who we serve. We serve the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. We don't serve Allah. We don't serve Baal. We don't serve this falsity of God's. We serve the one, the only, the only wise God, the impotent master, the true one. Hallelujah. There's a bigger picture than what we see. And so, the servant was calm because fortunately he was able to see that greater is he that is in me than he that is in, that is with, in the world. Hallelujah. There is a bigger picture. There is a bigger picture. God always has a better plan. God always has a better way. The Bible talks about the sick, the palsy. We had the opportunity to go to uh, by the Sea of Galilee in November of 2019 and see Capernaum, the city of Jesus, they call it. And this is where they really think that the house of Simon was. And, and this is the house they believe that Jesus was teaching from when they brought to him the sick of the palsy. And so it really gives a good, clear picture of the type of homes that were built stone huts if I could call them and they didn't have vaulted ceilings and, and crown molding but it was just straw or maybe it was it was a mud tile or it was stone and it wasn't very high and so Jesus is teaching in this small rounded house setting and and uh, if this wasn't the place it was very similar to the type of home he would be teaching from and and he's he's delivering the word and there's there's people that are wanting the blessing there's people that are wanting to hear what Jesus is saying, and so uh, there was a greater need on the outside because there was a person who was sick of the palsy, could not get to where Jesus was. He was bedridden, and so and so. Thankfully, he had some good friends that said, "You know, we're going to get you to where you need to be. <laughs> you need to get you some friends that'll help you when you're down and out. Get you where to where you need to be." Hallelujah! They're going to say, "I know you're bedridden. You don't think there's any hope, and I know that your faith is very low. But I'm going to get you to where you need to be. I'm going to make sure myself and see to it that you get to the master." That's what kind of friend I want in my life. Hallelujah. Some that's willing to go the distance. Some that's willing to pick me up and, and carry me to where the master is. And so it wasn't just an easy task. It sounds simple to pick someone up from whatever bed and carry them to the master. But there was a different challenge that was posed to them because they couldn't go to the door. There were too many people thronging the place where Jesus was preaching. And so they had to plan. They had to figure out how are we going to get this friend of ours to where the master is and so they decided well we're going to climb the roof and it wasn't a very tall roof it wasn't like this building it was it was it was small probably eight or nine feet max maybe I don't know I haven't done a lot of study on uh, uh, Capernaum architect but looking at the homes there that's what I figured being a surveyor and not having a pocket tape that's about how high those homes looked and so they got him to where the roof was and now they have a different challenge how do they I don't know how they did. I don't know if they pulled the tile off first, then picked him up or put him up on the roof and then pulled the tile off but, or whatever the, the material was. But they had, to, they, had to, they had to tear the roof up of whatever type of material it was. And they accomplished that. And then they took this sick of the palsy and they lowered him to where Jesus was. Much like the angel Coco coming out of the ceiling. Here comes, here comes the sick of the palsy in like fashion. 
And so everybody in this room sees what is going on. And Jesus, before he is even petitioned, before he is even asked to do anything, he turns to the man and he says, Thy sins be forgiven thee. That wasn't the request that day. And that wasn't what this man was really wanting from the master. But the master saw a bigger picture. The master had a greater plan for this person that was coming through the roof. There was a sin issue. And the master forgave him of that as he was lowered down. And it ruffled some feathers. And then after that he said, So you will know that the Son of Man hath power both to forgive sin on earth and to heal. He healed him that day because there was a bigger picture. Hallelujah. Sometimes God is working on us. We have requests and we have things that we see that need to be met. Needs we know that need to be met. And, and petitions we're bringing to the Lord. And we're wondering what's going on. But God's working on different situations to make everything in his will come to pass. Friend, if you just have patience, if you just believe, if you never give up, hallelujah. Faithfulness is coming to church when you don't feel like it. That's faithfulness. It's not just repetition days in a row, but it's coming to church when you don't feel like I'm going to be faithful to God because he's faithful to me. God does, just doesn't wake up in his royal bedroom and says, you know, today I'm just not going to love Jeremy Brock. That is not God. That is not a definition of faithfulness. But he loves me unconditionally. He loves me because in the future he knows what failures I have made before I even made them and he still loves me. He doesn't hate me. He doesn't despise me. He doesn't refute my prayer even though I might fail him in the future. He loves me in spite of me. Hallelujah. And so God loves us no matter what we're going through, no matter what we're thinking. And so this is why we should be faithful to the house of God because he's faithful to us because I love him why because he first loved me and he never stopped loving me there's no end to his love the definition that one scripture gives of God is God is love he is not hate he's not rude he's not evil he is love and so if he loves me then I'm coming today to love him back. Hallelujah. No matter what I'm facing, that's the, only way, that's the only place that I could get help from. I could tell you instances in my life where it felt like I did not want to come to church, where I did not feel like I belonged, like I had no purpose, like there was no direction that I was going, but I kept coming because I knew God loved me. If there was any help that I could receive, it would come from the Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. And I could tell you today, we could spend a lot of time talking about his goodness and his mercy and his provision and his continual blessing. That's why I'm here today because there's a bigger picture that, that, isn't just, that isn't just bound by Jeremy Brock and his emotions but it's the plan of God. It's a big picture that I want to be a part of and if I can be a small piece in his kingdom then let me do it. Let me be a janitor in the house of the God. There is no shame in that duty. Let me be, let me be just a doorkeeper and let me wash the feet of the servants of the Lord that are coming into this place. Why do I want to do that? Because I'm in the house of God and God is here. He's in the boat. There may be many problems in the boat. And there may be many shortcomings, but Jesus is here. And that's why I'm here. That's why you're here. That's why you're faithful. Because you've seen God work in your life. You've seen what a lot of this message you already know because you've seen God yourself. It's just a reminder that God is really here and he's really in control. And if you don't believe it, let me give you some scriptures to reveal that unto you. Amen. Somebody say Amen. Amen. This is a story that my pastor loves to tell because it's somewhat humorous. I wanted to share it again. Some may or may not have heard this. I've told it once or twice. But sometimes you just have to realize, sometimes you have to just understand that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. There's a bigger picture than just my circumstance. And I worked for a pest control company, and uh, I really enjoyed the job. And one of the functions of the job was to go into people's backyard, pulling a hose that was connected to a tank that sat in the back of a small truck. And so we would drag these, these hoses that had the chemicals released from them, and we would, we would spray in a certain way around the perimeter of the homes. And and we'd, we'd do some cracking crevice work, and we would make sure the ants were going to come through that crack in your sidewalk again. And, and we would spray, we wouldn't spray bushes, but we would spray down in the dirt where the bushes grew because it would kill the insects that were 
that were just varmints that were just tearing things up, ants and spiders and all kinds of earwigs and silverfish. That was the job. And so they were faithful customers. Some had large yards. Some had small yards. We would deweb the eaves just to make sure that our work was appreciated and that we appreciated the customer. And so this one day I was going through my typical routine and I had opened up the side uh, gate to go to a, fin- uh, a backyard that had a large, long parcel, very, very long backyard. And so I was uh, just performing my duties that day and, and uh, the fence on the back of the, of the parcel that on the other side was another house and, and the neighboring the neighbor's uh, uh, yard. Uh, I got to that portion, and we wore rubber gloves. We wore safety glasses, and, and we treated our job with care. And, and so as I got to where the back fence was, there were bushes that were in front of the fence. And so I just kind of leaned on the fence and, and, and got my balance. And with the other hand, I would just you know spray the chemical in the needed areas. And as I put my gloved hand on the fence... Six-foot-tall wooden fence, typical fence for a, for a backyard. I felt something just hit the fence. Ba-boom! And it did frighten me at first, but I wasn't too afraid because there was a fence, and uh, I knew I was safe. And so I kept, I kept doing my, my work, spraying the flower beds, put my hand over the fence, and again, boom! Something crashed against that fence, and it wobbled it, and, you know, I just didn't care anymore because, you know, there's a fence there. About midway to the backyard, the middle of the fence, I do the same thing. I lean over. I put my hand on the top of the six-foot fence, and I'm spraying, you know, and that whatever was on the other side hit the fence, wobbled the fence, and one of those fence posts which was about eight inches wide, maybe a little bigger, fell in slow motion to the earth. (sighs) Dust flew after it landed. And I look on the other side and peering at me with foaming mouths and ears pinned back was not one, but was two very large, well-fed, muscly, Boxer dogs barking at me could fit through the fence. A lot of things go through your mind at that moment. Your life flashes before your eyes. You realize your physical incapabilities of speed. You start thinking about how many calves can you give up to feed the beast. And it was very scary. My heart was racing. These dogs are barking. I was frozen. And I didn't know what to do. But within about three seconds, four seconds of all of that flashing before my eyes, I didn't have a lot in my life that, that day. That's why it all flashed so fast. I looked back at the dogs, and I did. I'm like, you know, if this is how it's going to be, this is, this is the way it's going to end, Lord. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out with a bang. And so I... I uh, looked directly at those foaming mouths and and those barking dogs and those sharp teeth. And I cut through all of that with a bark of my own. Loud and vicious and scared it was. Widened my eyes and showed my teeth. And they stopped. And I kept going. And they looked at me and their eyes widened and their ears back even further and they turned around and they started yelping and they went to their dog run and very quickly and precisely I grabbed the fence and I put it back to where it was and I called for help from the owner who was in the house that I was servicing and I was saved that day because I did not let my situation I did not let my current physical state dictate to me my demise But I understood there was something within me. There was something that I could do. There was a greater power, I think, in me. It was my bark. 
But really, the analogy that I'm trying to draw from is we really don't realize what we're capable of when we have the Holy Ghost living inside of us. Sometimes you just see the forefront. You see danger that is imminent. You just see the Israelites, they're pinned against the Red Sea and the Egyptian armies on the other side. And you think, God's brought me this far. How's he going to see me through the rest of this? He promised me something. He promised he's taken me somewhere. He promised me deliverance. I know that he did because we're in this place. We got this far with him and if you can just know that you made it this far honey God's going to take you through a Red Sea all you have to do sometimes is just stand and believe and shout to God with praise and there's going to be a parting of a Red Sea there's going to be a demise of the enemy there's going to be victory in your life because you believed on what you had inside of you hallelujah that's what church really is all about it's just about fortifying your belief in the one true God that you already know who he is and just telling you he still is he's not dead he's not the god of the dead but he's the god of the living and he's the same yesterday today and forever and what he did back then friend he can do for you today hallelujah do you believe that in the sanctuary do you know that god is capable do you know that he can deliver you do you know that he will and that he wants to he doesn't want us to glory though we can't glory in ourselves we have to glory in the Lord. Because if we glory in ourselves, then we get proud. We get prideful. We become like Samson, and we forget it's that it is the Lord that gives us strength. It's not my huge muscles and the way I picked up gates and the way that I tied foxes' tails together. No, that never happened because of me. That happened because God gave me an ability and he let me use it. Hallelujah. And it's because of the Lord. It's because of the Lord. It's because of the the Lord that I'm standing here before you whole. Don't let it come to like Samson where your eyes have to be plucked out before you really see where your strength comes from. Learn today that God can deliver. Hallelujah. God can deliver. He wants to deliver. He wants to show you his strong and mighty right hand of power. Hallelujah. We can sometimes view God through binoculars and just think that he is so far away and he's not near us. He's not around us. He doesn't care about us, but he's just off in the distance somewhere, sitting on a white throne. He can't see us and he's just too far away, but that's not the case. He's a very present help in the time of trouble. He is the author. He is the finisher of our faith for who the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame he is set down on the right hand of God he is a God of victory he is a God that is so close that we don't even imagine we can't even perceive the closeness of God because the Bible says he's he's omnipresent he's everywhere we can't fathom that because we're beings of time and we can only be at one place at one time and Yes, travel has quickened and we can fly. We can, we can get to places faster, but, but, but God's already there. He was there before we got there, and he's still where we left from. We can't fathom that because he is God, and our mind is not like him. And that's why the scripture points out that we need to have a mind, the mind of Christ. Let this mind be in you, which was in Christ also, I want the mind of Christ. My having the mind of Christ is different than the mind of Jeremy because Jeremy doesn't see the big picture all the time like Christ has for us, like the picture that God sees for us. Amen. The Bible says to stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. Be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Sometimes all you can do is stand fast. Just be quick to stand in the liberty wherewith Christ has made you free. God has given you liberty. We need to stand free. We're not in bondage. I want to say that again. We're not in bondage. But we are liberated through His Spirit. If you look at rules and regulation as bondage, my friend, no. That's not bondage. We don't have to live. We don't have to live with that mindset. There's a bigger picture. We're actually free. We have liberty today. There's no liberty like being freed from sin. I said there's no liberty like being free from sin. What is the bigger picture? What is God's plan? And why am I here? What is his purpose? You know, why why do I live this thing called life? 
And why am I put on terra firma? What is the bigger picture? What am I supposed to be doing? Where am I supposed to be going? And who with? And how? And what's the plan of God? The plan of God. The plan of God. What is that picture? And so, there are some parts of that picture that we can never describe because God has doors that he's opened for us in the future that no man knows of yet. But the will of God is to stay in his kingdom and to do anything in his kingdom to please him, to grow his kingdom and to live a life that's holy and separate, which is freedom unto him. Because when you love God, you're willing to live a holy life. When you believe in God, you're willing to live a separated life. You hear me? When you have a relationship with God, you won't question things like why we do what we do and why the scripture says what it says and why, why is it interpreted the way rightfully like we interpret it. When you have a relationship with God, you don't question things. And it's all right to have questions. If there's any newcomers today in the house of the Lord, you have questions, that's fine. But once you have a relationship with God, those questions answer a lot quicker. Hallelujah. When you, have, when you have a desire to be in his presence, when you have a desire to pray to him and worship him and come to the house of God, all of those questions that you thought were just big uh, problems, they go out the door because you realize who you're serving. What is the big picture? Amen. I want to end and conclude with this story. I've I did some study, some study some time ago because of my trade. I like looking at different various land, and I know that might sound boring, but um, one of the deepest places in the world, in the world, if, if from sea level, everything's measured from mean sea level, sea, sea level would be zero elevation, right? So anything in land that's above that is measured from sea level, and so even below sea level, so as you go to the ground beneath the sea, that is a, that is a depth, that is a, that is a negative, sea, or negative elevation, you could call it. And so they did a lot of charting of the ocean, very interesting, the type of instrumentation they use to see where, you know, or what the land mass looks like under the waters. And uh, they have certain technology that can send sound waves down and determined by the speed of the sound that goes down and hits the bottom and the time it takes to get back up to the top. Not only can they draw the surface and contours of the ocean's floor, but they can also see how deep it is. And so, excuse me, after many studies, they uh, came to a place called the Mariana Trench. And the Mariana Trench is to be one of the deepest places or the deepest that is known to man, deepest place in the world, it's over 6.7 miles deep. That's a long, that's a long fall from the, from the surface of the ocean down to the deepest part of the world. And just to give you a, an example of how far that is from this place, you know, uh, Target on Rosedale or, or uh, Callaway. That's about six and a half miles from us. You know how long it takes to drive there. Or a mile south of the Valley Plaza. That's from this place. That's how deep the deepest part of the ocean is. Very, very deep, very dark. And so um, there's not a lot of life that is in the sea that deep. And if there is, it's hard to explore it because man is unable to go unless he has a specialized pressurized vessel like submarines, certain submarines can't go that deep, but they say at that, at that level, the water weight, the pressure of just the water weight, any of you that have scuba dived know that there's water weight, and you can't come up to the surface too fast. Um, you'll get the bends, I think is what it's called, so you have to time yourself as you come back up to the ocean surface because of the water weight, the pressure. If you ever swimmed in a deep pool and you went down as a kid and you touched the, the drain grate and you came back up, I remember doing that when I was, when I was young in elementary, going down to the pool and of a 10-foot pool and touching the grate and coming back up. You could feel the weight at the bottom of the water on your head, the pressure of, of the water weight. And so they say at the bottom, and I don't want to bore you too long, but they but they say at the bottom of, of the Mariana Trench that the weight of the water is 15,751 uh, uh, PSI or pressure per square inch. 15,751 pounds. 
on each square inch. That's a lot of weight. And so it, it'll crush you if you were ever, you couldn't go down there. You, you, you would die because of the weight, um, not just because you couldn't swim back up in time to get oxygen, but just the weight of the water would crush you. And it's over 1,000 times heavier than just the standard atmospheric pressure at the bottom of the sea, 15,751 pounds. And the musicians can come. I'm drawing very quickly to an end. So it's 6.7 miles deep with that much weight per square inch. Just to give you an example of what PSI is for those of you who who don't deal with those kind of measurements, I could take my hand and I could lean against the sheetrock of this building and it won't do anything. Even though I'm not the lightest person on earth, it won't hurt the sheetrock. But if I apply the same pressure, if I apply the same weight to a thumbtack and I use the same force, that thumbtack will quickly go into the sheetrock. Why? Because of all the weight that I distributed across my hand is now on one pinpoint of a thumbtack. And there's more PSI on that thumbtack and it will go through the wall. That's PSI. It's a good example of it. And so why am I telling you all this? We're talking about the bigger picture. There's a sin problem in our world today. And the church exists solely. The church exists solely to let others understand that there is somebody who can solve the sin problem. The world is confused today. Darkness, darkness, and it just seems like it's getting darker. What does that mean? The Bible says the church is like a city that is on a hill. They cannot be easily hid. So if we have the light of Christ in us, and we do, and if we teach the Word of God in its truth and entirety, and we do, and as the world gets darker and more bleak, then the church shines brighter. The church shines truer. We're living in the last days, and you, I wonder, I don't know how he's going to wrap this all up. I just know where I'm going to be when he does, and it's going to be in the house of the Lord. It's going to be in his favor. But if Joel's prophecy is true, And if Peter's message recanting Joel's prophecy is true in Acts chapter 2, the Bible says in the last days, he will pour out his spirit upon all flesh. I don't know how he's going to do that. And I know there's going to be only a few that make it. And I know that encompasses humanity from Adam and Eve until he comes. But in the last days, he's going to do it. And there's a bigger picture. People are going to see the goodness of the Lord like never before. And as I see and turn off sometimes my viewing from the media outlets, there's no good news in the world today. There may be some, but it's not the favorable news to tell. I'm not looking for some person to be elected, to fix all of this world's problems. But I'm looking for a prophecy to be fulfilled. I'm looking for this world to come to the church. And if we have to endure what we might call persecution now, I don't know how worse it'll get. I want to be a city. I want to be a city that shines bright. I want to be with a body of Christ that's reaching out and showing a bigger picture to a dying world. I still have lost loved ones. I want them to know. I want them to know something. I want them to know that God still can forgive their sin. And he's not worried about their one loaf that they brought to the boat that they're all worried about. The only thing they can see. He wants to let them know he can provide for them. I want them to know, hey, let me be an outlet to them, Lord, from you to me, to them, that you can save them, that you're able to wash them, that you're able to heal them. 
I'll spare you all of the numbers. But the reason why I talk about the weight of the ocean and its depth and the PSI of the, of the weight is because I did some figuring out of, you know, what, what is that like? How would that be going? I mean, you would be a pancake. You would be obliterated. You'd be smushed. So I did some math, and, and I, I looked at, like, the largest animals on earth, elephants, and it would be 15,751 pounds per square inch is equivalent to about, about 2,863 elephants just on one hand of your body. That's how much pressure is there. What does that mean? What does that have to do with anything? If you read scripture, the Bible talks about God and how he forgives sin. He says, where sin doth abound, grace does much more abound. Sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. There's sin in the world. Sin isn't going to stop. The world's going to wax worse and worse. And in conclusion today, as we stand together in the house of the Lord, my whole meaning of this message of the bigger picture is the bigger picture is that God can forgive sin. And there's a verse found in Psalm 103 and verse 12. It says, as far as the east is, as far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed his transgression from us so he can remove sin Jesus was so good at parables and analogies we could go to Micah chapter 7 verses 18 and 19 scripture says who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity who is this God that can pardon all my sin Pharisees spend a lot of time just, how can you do that, you being a man? You're not God. How can you forgive sin? They questioned. They knew the brevity of his power when he said to the sick of the palsy, thy son, be, thy sins be forgiven thee. They questioned that. That was questioned. How can you forgive sin? There was a plan. There was a bigger picture called Calvary. <laughs> they did not know that this man whom they... who whom they crucified was the king of the Jews. They're always contesting, always contesting his doings. Who is a God like unto thee and that pardoneth iniquity and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He retaineth not his anger forever because he delighteth in mercy. He will turn again. He will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquities and thou wilt cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. He understood that if you cast all sin into the depths of the sea and if the, dip, if, if the deepest place, is this making sense? If the deep, deepest place is the Mariana Trench, then there's no way that anybody would ever go down and find your sin and bring it back up to the surface. Hallelujah. Because you would be crushed. You would be killed. Only God can forgive your sin. And the big picture is today, as they sing, as we raise our hands where we are and worship Him for a few moments, is the bigger picture is, is God can, God will, He is still able he can't forgive just remember who is in the boat let's worship him tonight or this morning let's give him praise as they sing hallelujah we could come up to the front just for a few moments of devotion why don't you make your way to the front